Welcome to the Renew Church Leaders Podcast. My name is Dave Stovall, and I'm here to introduce this episode. Today, we're talking to America's leading expert on medical marijuana, Dr. Sasha No, as she discusses with Bobby Harrington how we as Christians should think about and respond to the increasing legalization of this controlled substance. I hope you enjoy the podcast. My name is Bobby Harrington, and I have the privilege of being the executive director of Renew Network. And Renew Network is a network that seeks to renew Jesus' teaching for disciple-making. In fact, um, we see ourselves as being grounded in Jesus' teachings, the practice of renewing those teachings, especially with an emphasis on the Holy Spirit, so that we can be disciples of Jesus and make disciples of Jesus. I'm so glad that you're here with me today. My special guest for this conversation is Dr. Sasha No. And uh, Sasha, I'm gonna uh, let you tell us a little bit about yourself. I just wanna say this as we begin. Sasha may be the country's leading expert in medical marijuana. Many people refer to her as that. But the thing that's so wonderful for this conversation is she is, first and foremost, a disciple of Jesus and is committed to being a fully devoted disciple of Jesus. So, Sasha, tell us a little bit about yourself, about your training in um, uh, medical marijuana, and also about uh, what it means for you to be a disciple of Jesus. Okay, well, thank you so much for having me here today, Bobby. It's such a privilege to have this opportunity to chat with you and have a conversation on really a very hot topic at the moment. It's really an honor for me to be here. Um, for those of you who are listening, my name is Dr. Sasha No, and I am a dual doctorate, board-certified, award-winning physician and researcher, two-time best-selling author, international speaker, and a medical cannabis expert, and I help patients uh, using medical cannabis. I actually also help physicians uh, learn, um, educate them on how they can help their patients with medical cannabis, and I consult with the industry as well to let them know how they can meet the needs of both patients and physicians. I would, I'll start by saying that my journey in this field started 24 years ago when I started graduate school at the University of South Florida's College of Medicine. I actually started my research in a department that had a grant um, from the National Institutes of Drugs of Abuse, and they were looking specifically at um, uh, cannabis or marijuana. Most people know it as marijuana. Scientifically, it's cannabis, which is what you'll hear me refer to it as. But um, my research was focused primarily on um, just further characterizing uh, receptors that are in our body and how it relates to the immune system. At the time, uh, we had just recently discovered uh, about receptors in our body that bind to uh, chemicals from the plant. And so that's where this started. Um, I earned my PhD in 2000. 
Um, so it was a long time ago and started in this field long before even California legalized cannabis. Um, but that journey going from medicine, I'm going from research. Um, once I finished that, I transitioned to academia and then a few years later into medicine. And so it's allowed me to really um, bring decades of, of knowledge from the research end. And now I can help patients. Um, you know, it's that whole bench to bedside thing, you know, where we do science and when does it get to impact our, our patients. And so I get to do that. And so what's interesting about my journey is that um, even though I had been very religious um, all my life, really, um, you know, that scripture that talks about how God sets eternity in the hearts of men um, from a very young age, I really knew that, um, you know, the Bible spoke to me. I, I knew that something in me told me this is God's inspired word. And I made a decision at a very young age that that was going to be the standard for my life. Um, needless to say, as much as I strove for that, I would, you know, call myself more religious than spiritual, um, you know, trying to follow the rules. I missed the mark a lot. However, when I was in graduate school, that was when I was invited out to a women's day. Um, and it was at a time where I was very vulnerable um, in my life and in my marriage. And um, even though, you know, I was very religious, I was in church, you know, twice a week and involved in, you know, different programs and singing in the choir, all that good stuff. Um, I just, my life was just in a really rough place. And so I went to this uh, Women's Day, um, this, this program, and actually started studying the Bible the next day and was baptized a week later. I studied the Bible every day for a few hours um, with some women who truly love God and lived their life as disciples and um, of Jesus Christ. And so my life was radically transformed. And this happened during the time where I was actually in graduate school um, during this process of, you know, getting my PhD. So it's really kind of interesting to see how God has used that time in my life because at the time, prior to becoming, you know, a devoted disciple of Jesus, I actually was very much still focused on selfish ambition and, you know, becoming a doctor and doing research in the ivory tower. And once you know, Jesus became Lord and Savior of my life, my priorities completely shifted. And, um, and so a couple of years later, um, after becoming a Christian, I actually had our, we had our first child, our son. And at that point, I was just like, I want to stay home and I want to be a mom and a wife, <laughs> you know, I'm going to quit um, this program. I just, it's not that important to me anymore. And I had some really spiritual women in my life that said, you know, you're really close. Don't, don't give up. And so I said, okay, fine. I won't give up. And so now I look back on that influence in my life, you know, 24 years later, and I'm able to see, you know, God just really working just in that time. Um, and so because of that decision to stay in this field, um, it's really brought me to a place where at this time, I'm the only known physician in the country who holds a PhD in cannabinoid research, molecular and cellular cannabinoid research for almost uh, 20 years. And that research has continued to be used and cited and um, whether it be in uh, furthering research in the therapeutics of uh, cannabis or cannabinoids um, in books worldwide. Um, it's amazing and very humbling to see how God has really yeah. had a time in my life, you know, um, to this point.
You know what's so great uh, about where you're at in this conversation, uh, and I'm so grateful from previous conversations that I've had with you, is that God in his providence has led you to this point where you have this area of expertise, but you're able to see the expertise through the lens of being a disciple uh, who's uh, committed to following Jesus and following the Bible and uh, helping other people to become disciples. So great time uh, in your life to speak into something that's actually a pretty big deal uh, right now, really around the world. Uh, As you know, uh, Sasha, you're a a Trinidadian background. I have a Canadian background. (laughs) And uh, uh, in my home uh, country that I grew up in, uh, it's now uh, becoming legal. I have friends we're not followers of Jesus. We're investing, you know, in companies now to, 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 to be in the process of that. So it's a very important conversation. Christians used to say, well, the Bible says we follow the laws of the land, and, and the laws of the land were that uh, marijuana was uh, Well, that's been changed so that now we know that uh, uh, you can't just say, well, the laws of the land are against it because, in fact, the laws of the land are for it. So we're going to come and talk about that. But before we do that, let's just talk at more of a sort of a medical basis. How do you use your training on a day-to-day basis to help doctors uh, with marijuana? Like, there there is a place for it. And so how do you use that training on a day-to-day basis to help people? Sure. Um, First, uh, I will speak to the fact that I actually have a clinic um, uh, that I run with my husband, and we actually see patients who are um, looking for an option that's an alternative to what they have been treated with thus far. As you may or may not know, in the state of Florida, uh, medical cannabis is relatively new in the last few years. Um, compared to some of the other states. And so now we have the ability to, based on the laws in Florida, as a physician, if you're certified by the state, um, you're allowed to evaluate patients based on different uh, medical conditions and see if they qualify for use uh, for medical cannabis for treatment. And so through my clinic, I'm able to apply the science and the medicine um, within the law to help patients. And It's actually a very fulfilling thing for me because I'm able to see in so many ways where patients have been uh, trying for so many years. Um, They are on, you know, dozens of medications, you know, some of them on, you know, 10 to 15 medications at times where they are um, not, they're still debilitated. They're not able to really just function. Um, And so medical cannabis has been able to help many of these patients actually um, live a healthier life and more active lifestyle, come off of medications that have been ineffective and also to be able to come off of more harmful medications like um, benzodiazepines like Valium and Xanax and things like that, as well as opioids. And we see a lot of patients who are coming off of their opioids because of the fact that medical cannabis can manage their pain um, in a more effective way, um, in a less altering way. And of course, you don't have the side effect of death 
like you do for the high risk for opioids. Um, so that's one way I'm able to help patients and it's actually uh, incredibly fulfilling to me. Uh, when most of the patients that come in, I see um, the ability to be able to help them and we work together towards their goals. And so that's fulfilling. The other way that I'm able to use my, um, my background is I also do a Medican Academy where I train physicians. It's a six week course where I just really take physicians through the process. If they're interested in having um, a clinic where they can help patients as well, we kind of do a, a, you know, nuts and bolts, if you will, of what that entails, not only from a medical clinic functioning side, but taking them through medicine, applying the science, um, and teaching them how to approach each patient because each patient is, um, their, their conditions are diff uh, different and, you know, there's no uh, cookie cutter method, if you will, to be able to do that. I also do um, a conference and I speak internationally, social media, all these ways where I'm really able just consulting. Sometimes, you know, there are people outside of Florida, different states, whether it be physicians or patients who will call me up to consult about themselves or a patient or a family member, um, even in states where medical cannabis has been available for a long time um, because they're looking for a level of expertise. I do tend to get a very complicated patients um, that uh, other physicians send, <laughs> send my way. Um, and I consider that an honor uh, to be able to uh, help some uh, individuals in some of the rarest conditions that we see medically. So um, that's some of the ways that I do that on a day-to-day -day basis. Okay. Well, that, that sounded like a big deal uh, to me. Like when I think of the opioid epidemic in the country right now, and like I was hearing numbers like 70,000 people are dying a year right now uh, to have something where under a clinical and medical supervision, people can get off that and that, Medical marijuana is a part of that. That's an important discussion. Now, let me pause for a second. And for those who are joining this webinar live, at the bottom of the page, if you'll notice, there's a Q&A box. And uh, I just wanted you to know that I'm going to try to keep my eye on the Q&A box as uh, Sasha and I are talking. And uh, if there's questions that seem to tie in, I'll try to draw them to you. Also at the bottom of the page is a chat box, and our own Dave Stovall is with us here uh, trying to help with those questions. So uh, let me take, take us back to what you just said uh, about marijuana in a positive sense, because the way you just described it is a very positive sense. So talk to us about the basics of how marijuana works in the body and how that can be used for good. So for thousands of years, it's been used not just recreationally, but medically. And in the last, um, in, since the early uh, 60s, actually going back to the 50s, um, we have started to realize and through, through research that one, we were initially identified the psychoactive component of the cannabis plant, the marijuana plant. So the plant has about 400 chemicals, 60 of which are structurally related to the THC, Delta 9 THC, which is the psychoactive component of cannabis. Okay. So um, we were, you know, researchers identified this THC component that was coming from the plant and um, they realized that there 
there must be a reason why when someone smokes cannabis, they get high. Um, they have these effects. And so they started looking within the body to determine what was going on there. And the first thing that they were able to find was that there are actually these receptors that we have on our cells of our body, in our, within our, the tissues of our body, that that THC binds to. And those receptors are distributed throughout the entire body. Uh, the brain, the central nervous system, every organ, um, everywhere throughout the body. And so not only did, did we find that um, those receptors were there, later on they were able to identify that there were other cannabinoids that were produced in the body that we have now uh, come to know as the endocannabinoid system, that system of receptors and uh, chemicals in our own body that we produce that are very similar to what is in the plant. And that's why the plant has medical value. Okay, God in his wisdom created a system within our body that the parts of that plant can be helpful. This is not the first time. We have so many other instances in science where that's the case and opioids are one of them. Um, but in addition, we know now and have for many decades now that these plant cannabinoids act within the endocannabinoid system in our own bodies. Um, and that's how we can affect a medical, um, you know, have medical benefits from the treatment. Okay. So can you describe for us, Sasha, because I, I think what's really important in our conversation is that we understand how marijuana works, uh, how it's positive, and then where it's not so positive. And for a lot of people, if I can just say this up front, for a lot of people, it's black or white. It either helps, and therefore I can use it, you know, no restrictions. It just helps people now to be able to use it as they want. Or no, it's bad. And because it's bad, you would never use it. So um, and, and I'm just going to get real personal here about this. My, my mother um, has a really bad back, chronic bad back. She's in her 80s. And uh, she was actually advised by a doctor to, uh, to apply for and go through the process of medical marijuana for her chronic pain. And so I just want to be somebody who says right, right up front that, uh, and, I, and I know this is what you do, is that there's a lot of positive benefits. So talk to us about what's positive first as we begin. So for example, um, first let me address the first part of what you said. There is really a spectrum of belief about this. We can look at the spectrum where on one end people say, oh, there's absolutely no medical benefit whatsoever. It's bad for you. Don't, do, don't use it. There's nothing good about it. The other spectrum is where, oh, it's completely safe for everyone to use. This is a great medicine. You know, both ends of those spectrums are inaccurate. We know this. Okay. What we do know is that there is definitely medical benefit to the treatments. We haven't been able to do the types of research to the depth that we typically do in medicine um, for clinical studies because of the fact that in the United States, it still remains federally illegal in this uh, schedule one controlled substance. We don't have that type of studies in, in humans. We have many animal studies that demonstrate and that can be extrapolated to humans um, 
And so we do know that there is medical benefit. We do know that there can be some harm and we will get to that discussion a little bit later. But in terms of the benefits, so certain parts of the plant that are not psychoactive actually can help uh, and be anti-inflammatory, can be you know, calming, have muscle relaxing abilities, antioxidant abilities. There are, um, that one most people are familiar with is called CBD or cannabidiol. Um, that tends to be the first thing, you know, the first product that most states will uh, legalize or allow medically speaking. Um, we know that there are many other cannabinoids in the plant that potentially could be helpful, but we don't have the research to back that up. There are studies going on around the world to further, you know, figure that out. The THC part of it is it is also beneficial in that it can help and it works uh, primarily in the central nervous system um, to where you have those mind altering or the psychoactive effects. It also helps with pain. And so, you know, we know that when patients um, who have very severe pain that's not treated by your typical standard of care drugs, and they have to end up on things like opioids all the time, that use of CBD plus THC in some combination can help alleviate pain, both in the central nervous system aspect of things as well as throughout the rest of the body. So a combination of the two major components that we've been using thus far really helps patients. There are some essential type oils to the plant that have medical benefits as well. That is, of course, less studied. So when we look at how we apply these treatments to patients, we look at the major components and then minor components after that. So the major ones being the CBD, the THC in different forms, be it, uh, is it in a raw form or process form, heated, whatever, what have you. Um, and then, you know, uh, secondarily, these terpenes or essential oils, if you will, of the plant that can also provide benefit. Okay, that makes sense. So you mentioned chronic pain uh, is one of the areas in which it helps. As I understand it, also uh, multiple sclerosis. Uh, talk to us about how it might work with uh, things like multiple sclerosis, and I assume there are other things that it's also used for. Sure. So um, some of the top reasons that we use medical cannabis for is things like chronic pain, uh, uh, nausea and vomiting from chemotherapy-induced drugs, um, anxiety, um, there are things like uh, when you, when I, as a physician, when I think of, of the different uh, medical conditions, they kind of come in groups. And for example, multiple sclerosis is a, a, a nerve uh, degenerative type of illness. And so the nerve through uh, really unknown reasons uh, yet to us, many unknown reasons to us, um, can cause degeneration of the nerve and those nerves innervate the muscles. And so as those become dysfunctional, you have muscle spasticity and then pain that comes from that. And so uh, the cannabinoids can actually work at the nerve endings. It can work to uh, modulate neurotransmitters. It can work to relax those muscles and it can also help to minimize pain. Without getting too far in the details of the science, understand 
for those of you who are listening, we have decades and decades and decades of research on this um, in animal studies and preclinical trials. And of, of course, even in my practice, I have patients who have MS that are using this as well. So for example, those patients with MS, they're in pain, not only because of um, the fact that their muscles don't work the way they used to, they're constantly spasming. Uh, when you spasm, you're impinging on nerves, which creates different kinds of pain. Um, and then because they're less functional, um, they lose the conditioning of their of their body, their arms or legs. Um, so then they become less active and that creates more, you know, debilitation. And so when we utilize this treatment to relax muscles and calm the pain, patients are able to be more functional um, and thereby, you know, live a, a more active lifestyle and just enjoy life a lot more. I have a patient, if, if I have time to share, I have a patient who actually um, used to use cannabis before he became a Christian and a pastor of church <laughs> and he stopped. Um, one, it wasn't medically legal where he was and, you know, but he was diagnosed with MS. Um, he had a, he had MS and, um, he came to me, um, you know, he, 20 years now he's, you know, been this pastor and he comes to me and he says, look, you know, um, is this applicable for me from a medical standpoint? And of course, we also have spiritual conversations as well. And, um, and he is doing very well. He is all of all of his narcotics. He was taking narcotics four to five times a day with all of these muscle relaxants. He's not taking any of those anymore. And he's not walking around altered or under the influence or anything like that. I mean, he is really living a life that's much more uh, fulfilling um, and active than he was prior to this. So. Uh, that's great. So, uh, Sasha, when, uh, when you're prescribing marijuana to someone, are there specific formulations of the drug for specific situations? And uh, talk to us about, because I, I, I don't think you're talking about prescribing, okay, I'm going to write out a prescription, you can go smoke a joint. There's something really specific in the formulation for targeting and so forth, correct? Well, let me, there are about three things you just said that I need to clarify. Okay, good, good. <laughs> Before I can answer. First of all, we don't prescribe it because it's not a medicine. We make recommendations because it's still a federally illegal scheduled one controlled substance. So for those of you that are listening, understand, you know, we, no physician prescribes this. It's a recommendation. Second, the recommendation can come, uh, depending on where you are, state by state, what's available varies, okay? What's legal varies, you know, what the state allow varies. You will find that there are some people that just make, you know, doctors that make the recommendation and say, here, go get the, the, the treatment and figure out what works for you. I'm not a fan of that by any stretch of the imagination. <laughs> I will have my colleagues who might disagree with me on that because, you know, um, we don't like we, any other medicine that we have, we don't have set guidelines. Use this much milligrams this time today. We don't have things like that. So everyone responds a little bit differently. The everyone's treatment levels are a little bit different. And you actually need to educate a patient and work with them as a physician to get the to the goals that you're 
you're trying to achieve without, you know, walking around, you know, high. Okay. Now speaking to the components, when I recommend cannabis to my patients, I speak primarily to the CBD content, which is the non-psychoactive component. I recommend the THC aspect, which is a psychoactive component, varying levels of those depending on what we're trying to achieve and depending on how the patient is tolerating the treatment. And then once we get those uh, proportions and, and, and route of administration and how often they need to use it down, we may then venture more specifically into the terpenes or the essential oils of the plant that may promote, you know, anti-inflammatory or, you know, more relaxing properties, um, getting into strains and things like that. You know, that's a lot, you know, one of the, you know, others, you know, that's not really primarily what we do. So primarily when we in Florida, you know, we uh, have the opportunity to recommend the different components and different ratios or, you know, different schedules, if you will, for each patient. And it's very different based on the patient and what their medical conditions are. You know, oftentimes I have people say, hey, I have this. Do you think I can use medical cannabis? And I said, hang on a second. I've got about 50 more questions I need to ask you before <laughs> and a conversation I need to have with you before I can tell, I can answer your question. So um, it's not that simple. Yeah. And, and I think, you know, part of me educating other physicians on how to help their patients is so that they don't just say, here, go get it and figure it out they become educated on how they can approach each patient's care specifically and so that they can reach effective treatment. That makes a lot of sense to me. So it's, it sounds like it's highly specialized in uh, where it helps and where it doesn't and of the formulation and how that should be applied. So let me, let's, let's put a hold on that for just a second, the positive side. Sasha, what is the negative side uh, of the use of marijuana. So even in the discussion, when we have patients who are coming in to um, be evaluated for medical cannabis use, we have a discussion about the negative aspects. Of things. Um, first of all, I guess this is probably a good time for me to say to, to you and everybody else listening, I have no experience with recreational cannabis ever. It's completely, you know, based on my research in medicine and understanding all the literature and all the information that's out there. Okay. Um, so as I speak, I am not speaking as someone who's actually ever used recreation cannabis. Um, but what we do know is that there are negative effects to using uh, cannabis, especially recreational cannabis. Those are specifically designed to have high levels of THC, which is the psychoactive component. People that use cannabis recreationally are going for that high. So that's where we start to get into more of the negative um, effects, if you will. Things like increased anxiety, psychosis, hallucinations, um, dizziness. Um, you know, some people get headaches, nausea. There are, I literally have an eight page document for my practice that patients look and see all the potential negative then uh, not negative uh, potential negative side effects of this treatment that can happen um, even though we're not using it at a recreational level per se we're not giving it to patients so they can be high we're trying to find the right level for them where therapeutically it's effective um, and they're not walking around high um, 
but I still let them know because we do have studies who are uh, retrospective studies that we've looked at tens and thousands of patients who've gone in the hospital um, and we see that recreational cannabis users have an increased risk of cardiac, mental, and stroke. So some of these are very serious uh, downsides, if you will, not to mention issues with dependency or abuse or addiction. And that's another population. Um, and so there are some downsides. When we start getting into the discussion about dependency and abuse and addiction, um, that is a smaller percentage, but if you have a population of, indi of individuals who struggle with that, that's a big deal. Okay. And so talk more about that. So, Sasha, let me just clarify something that um, maybe a lot of people don't realize. When a doctor is prescribing medical marijuana, it's done in such a way so that people don't get high. Did I just hear you say that correctly? So, so yes and no. So let me clarify what I mean by that. So we, the components, we do use THC. In some patients, we have to use higher levels of THC. For example, my movement disorder patients, patients who have Parkinson's or Huntington's disease. These patients who have these uh, very abnormal involuntary movements, they require higher levels of THC. Um, to calm those neurotransmitters at those nerve endings, okay? And so for some of those patients, might they feel altered? Yes, okay? The alternative, though, is, you know, terminal, <laughs> right? This constant, you know, uh, degradation of their nerves that keeps every body part moving involuntarily. So, you know, I, I, I have to tell you, some patients may their body technically could be in a state of a high especially if they use it for a movement disorder or they have increased THC contents that they use at night to sleep very much like medications that patients may be prescribed by a physician for sleep okay that will put you to sleep at night there you know prescription medications we use for that that can happen. And, you know, you can argue that that person's high. And I'm like, well, you know, technically, I guess if you wanted to argue that, you could. Medically, it's being used for them to go to sleep, just like you could argue that that person using high levels of trazodone or some other sleep medication, Ambien or something like that, that, you know, are, do you consider them high on that? No, it's putting them to sleep. No. <laughs> and so, yes, no, really. Um, the purpose of it is not to put your body in a high, although sometimes medically we kind of have to use higher levels that technically would be considered a high. Sure. But from the way you're describing it, um, most of the time they're not getting high. There's a, a regulated dose that keeps them from getting high. Yes. Is that and correct? I, yes. And many patients, Bobby, are able to use cannabis treatment and not be high. Okay. So as we get into recreational use and this discussion about those who we run into in our ministries, that's going to be a discussion, you know, that we'll delve into. But there are patients who can use higher levels of THC during the day to manage their medical symptoms, and they're not high. And yeah. as a matter of fact, patients that people that use this medically have no interest in being high. They do not even want to feel high. Yeah. Um, and they'll tell you that. The moment they do, they're, they're like, no, I don't want to use this. Yeah. It's the people that are looking to use it recreationally that are looking for that. 
and that's you know something we'll get into. Okay, so let's let's talk a little bit more about the dangers then. If you could be really specific, if I have friends uh, or or if uh, I'm somebody watching and I'm recreationally using marijuana, why is that bad for me? So we do note that short term. Uh, memory and cognition is significantly impacted. So if that person decides to get behind the wheel and drive, or maybe they have a job where that, you know, requires them to be fully aware and present, and, you know, have all of their cognitive function intact, that can be dangerous. Okay. If they're, you know, so that's one of the specific things in terms of marijuana recreational use that can be, a negative. We have patients who have, um, they literally, some patients have, when they've used recreational cannabis, just like they're, they're like, they can't move They're You know, they'll call the ambulance or they'll go to the emergency room because they are either super anxious. They're, they're hallucinating. You know, they're having these episodes that are clearly abnormal. Um, you know, so when you're talking about recreational use of cannabis, that that's that's a pretty adverse effect. If you get dizzy, um, you can fall. If you're an older patient, you're going to break bones. You know, I mean, there are um, the fact that uh, cannabis can dilate your blood vessels; it can drop your blood pressure, and so that can be detrimental depending on what situation you're in. So, those are some specific examples. Okay. Um- Talk to us a little bit about regular recreational use. Uh, when I was with you before, uh, you were you were describing some of the long-term effects of recreational use of marijuana. Okay, so typically some of the longer-term effects that we see for recreational cannabis use happens in individuals who have started its use at a, a younger age, and you know your brain, you know i.e. in your teenage years or when you're younger, your brain hasn't been fully formed. Um, and many of those individuals, once they get past their 20s, you know, or, you know, early 30s, they, they get away from it because obviously it affects some people's ability to function, be motivated, and things like that, okay? Now, we do have some um, – patients who, if they are already predisposed to any kind of family history of mental health or dependence or addiction, when they start that treatment at a young age, it can be, you know, an opportunity for them to become dependent or become addicted to it. Um, Typically, though, those, those individuals will move on to other more, you know, potent drugs, if you will, mind-altering drugs. Um, We don't have a lot of uh, long-term studies in patients who use cannabis because as a general, I mean, I am going to generalize here a little bit. Even when um, teenagers, for example, start this, most of them kind of grow out of it. (laughs) Um, They don't really continue it. But if they start down this path of drug use and as we know, if they go on to other uh, harder drugs, that's why they tend to get in trouble. Drugs that are more addicting and more dangerous than cannabis, that's where it becomes an issue. So you're saying it, it can be a, a gateway drug, really, that leads to other drugs, correct? I, I really, part of me takes an issue to that, to that 
con you know, that concept of it being a gateway drug. Um, I do think that um, certain people have more of a dependency, sort of addictive sort of personality, and that's the issue more so than the cannabis, if that makes any sense. I mean, cannabis is as, de you know, it's as dependency forming as caffeine. You know, it's, you know, it's more intoxicating than caffeine, but you can actually have, you have a, uh, when we look at studies from National Institutes, Institutes of Drugs of Abuse, caffeine is more addicting than cannabis. So, you know, let's, you know, kind of put some of that into perspective. I don't want to give this message, you know, that, hey, um, you know, this concept of it being a gateway drug, it's more complicated than that. Yeah, that's it has to do with the person's biological makeup. Yeah. No, I appreciate, I appreciate you, the nuances that are involved in what you're saying. Sasha, I've had friends over the years. Uh, I, I did not, like you, uh, I did not grow up um, as a follower of Jesus. And I've, I've had friends um, who very much, uh, you know, developed a bit of a dependency uh, on it. And it's like they lost their motivation and ambition how does that work? So that actually happens in different uh, parts of the brain that feed into motivation. <clears throat> and, um, you know, these feedback loops that go back to the centers in the brain, like the amygdala, where, you know, this repetitive stimulation can become sort of that addicting pathway. Um, and what happens with these individuals is that they, um, just like any other medicine, or treatment, they can build up, build up a dependency, I mean, a tolerance to the drug, so then they use more. And so they feed those parts of the brain that signal for dependency and addiction. Um, and so that can happen, okay? I'm not saying it doesn't, and it can't. And individuals who work, physicians who work in um, psychiatry or addiction medicine, they see it all the time. Okay, so that absolutely is possible. Um, I have patients who come to me who have been using cannabis for a long time, and I, it's, it doesn't take very long for me to recognize that that individual is already dependent on cannabis. Because even if they try to come off, they have these withdrawal symptoms. Um, you know, and so there are signs that we look for in these types of individuals where their behaviors and their relationships and their job performance and their ability to do what they need to do or or they start getting in trouble with either in their relationships or with their jobs or in, with the law when they're seeking this drug that does exist that does exist and it exists in the population of patients who have a, a propensity towards dependence and you know an addiction um, there are a lot of individuals who don't fall into that. Okay? Yeah. You know, as we see patients coming to me, whether they be in their 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, or 80s, um, the way that we manage their use of the treatment, we always talk about taking breaks because you don't, you know, you kind of want your receptors to normalize. The endocannabinoid system is not meant to fire all the time. It's sort of an on-demand system. Um, there are really only a few conditions that we say, you know, use it all the time. And that's uh, one, one primarily are the movement disorder um, uh, kind of conditions like Parkinson's and Huntington's where 
their their neurotransmitters are you know really disordered to begin with. So um, it can happen, definitely. All right. So what I hear you saying is that it it can be disruptive in people's lives in a significant way. But let me ask you this, and let's let's dive into to this right here. Um, probably 30, 40 years ago, a lot of Bible-believing Christians would say, you know, let's not have any alcohol, and many still do today, okay? But probably uh, the majority think it's okay to have a glass or two of wine. So if I'm watching this or, um, you know, reading the material that you and I are creating coming out of this, and I'm saying, you know, it's okay to have a glass or two of wine. Isn't that the same as just smoking a joint? What would you say about that? I can give you an honest answer in terms of alcohol. I know that, um, I mean, because I have used alcohol in the past and occasionally will have a drink, and I've had times in my own life where I've consumed too much alcohol and I know what it's like to pass that threshold of where it's appropriate. Um, I would say that cannabis is the same. You're going to have the same issue with cannabis. The difference is that I really caution individuals who talk to me about smoking a joint when they live in a state like Denver or maybe I've had people contact me from Canada, <laughs> you know, other Christians. And I say, look, Medically, I know that I can treat patients with a certain level of THC and they are not walking around high and altered, okay? Whether you have the ability to discern that in a wise fashion for yourself because, because it's legal, that's a different story. I can't speak to that. I can tell you medically we have patients who can consume a certain level of THC and they do not get high and altered. I think right now it's a very sensitive issue because, you know, marijuana has been illegal for so many years and for many years alcohol was. We have, we have gotten normalized to that. And, and I don't think it's going to be this cut and dry answer, Bobby, to say, okay, yes, you can use, you can smoke a joint and no, you can't. I would really... <laughs> question the ability of someone being able to smoke a joint and not get high. Yeah. I think uh, when we talked about it before, you uh, you described how you could have a glass or two of wine and not be high, but if you're smoking a joint, you're going to get high. Yeah. It's like, I mean, it's like, it's like maybe the, uh, I don't know if this is a, a good analogy, but it's one thing to have a glass or two of wine. It's another thing to drink a whole bottle of wine. Correct. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah. That's really what we're talking about here. We're talking about the fact that, like, I know if I have a, a glass or two of a drink, I'm fine. Anything beyond that, then I'm starting to get a little altered, a little tipsy. That's where we're starting to get become, you know, that's where biblically, and we can talk about these scriptures biblically, you know, the Bible says, look, you know, we shouldn't, drunkenness doesn't just apply to alcohol. You know, drunkenness is a state of, you know, being in an altered mind, impaired, under the influence, tipsy. You can get the same thing from marijuana. Yeah, that's good. In fact, Sasha, let me uh, just talk about some passages uh, for us to look at. L let me refer to the first one that I think is, is going to be most helpful for people. Uh, it's taken from Ephesians 5. In fact, let me just pause here for a second for those who are watching this. 
uh, and um, make a plug for uh, what Renew Network is all about and what Renew.org is. So Renew.org is going to contain materials about Jesus' teaching and uh, to help us be disciples who make disciples. And so uh, what a great opportunity, Sasha, that you've given us uh, as a part of Renew that we can talk to somebody who knows the medical marijuana background, and now we transition as followers of Jesus to what does Jesus teach us in his word about this, and how do we apply that to our lives? So in Ephesians chapter 5, God inspired the Apostle Paul to be teaching the church in ancient Ephesus, and he's been teaching them about God's way, and in Ephesians 5, starting in verse 17, he's summing things up, and he has this great description. He says, therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. So live a life where you're trying to please God and you understand his will. Verse 18, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. So the idea here is that uh, getting drunk with wine and uh, what the text is teaching is not don't have a glass, it's getting drunk, it's getting intoxicated. So this is something, and there's many other passages in the Bible that draw the line here and say, when you're getting drunk, when you're getting intoxicated, that is uh, doing something that in the eyes of God is wrong. It's sin. Don't get drunk on wine. Why? Because you end up doing stuff that in your right mind you wouldn't do. Right. And uh, you don't live the kind of life that honors God. Yeah. Uh, instead... Foolishness. <laughs> you know, the uh, uh, foolishness. <laughs> yeah, it leads to foolishness. Okay. Yeah. Uh, in, now, what's the antidote for that? Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Correct. So, um, what it is is that, uh, and and boy, th- is this not true for us today? A lot of us are living lives where there's pain, where there's anxiety, where there's stress, and so many of us. Um, if we don't have the teaching of Jesus, we're going to want to medicate to deal with all that. And the antidote in the Bible is try to live our lives in such a way that we're not medicating. We're not getting intoxicated. Instead, we're walking close with God. We're In those moments, we're trying to calm down. Sometimes we just need to sit in the pain and uh, learn to surrender again. And especially with the help of other disciples learn how to surrender to again and and be filled up ask god to fill us up with his spirit in those ways so that's kind of a sort of a baseline and if we were to take marijuana and uh, instead of alcohol here when it says don't get drunk on wine could we not comparably say about smoking a joint you know don't get high on marijuana is it not the same principles at play here, Sasha? Well, yes. And many times when people use the word drunk, they think alcohol, but the synonym for drunkenness are words like tipsy and impaired and under the influence. So understand that that is still, that's what's going to happen with other drugs, including marijuana that people self-medicate with. 
And I would say that, you know, anyone that says marijuana, you know, well, it's not listed in the Bible. Come on, you know, it's, you know, let's not be, you know, to the point where we're, we're thinking drunkenness is, is just from alcohol, that impaired state, that, that altered mind, that mind right. that is not sober. That's what we're talking about here. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. um, and then debauchery in that statement he talks about as well, which, you know, in that scripture, he also mentions, you know, even debauchery. And so as you, as people are thinking, oh, well, I can, you know, have maybe one hit of a joint and not, you know, like you have to approach that as well. You know, what are we filling up ourselves with? You know, we think about that maybe in terms of food or other things that we try to fill our lives with. But I think the scripture is very um, apropos for cannabis as well, because it's one of the ones that hits um, very specifically. Um, I do think that um, when we have, you know, the world that we live in, it's so, it's so challenging because, you know, the culture that we live in these days with all the influences. I love the video that you started with, you know, about all the things that impact the generations with the self-inspired theology. We're dealing with all of that. And some people yeah. may turn to uh, alcohol and drugs and, and, you know, cannabis involved in this as well to, to self-medicate. And yes, we know that, you know, an answer to that is Jesus, you know, being filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, I would like to say that there are clinical types of anxiety and depression and things like that you know, more complex psychiatric disorders that need to be not just um, ministered to with God's word and with love and grace and mercy, but also with the help of other professionals yeah. who are uh, trained and skilled in helping individuals where um, that those, those, uh, those pressures are not simply just worldly pressures, but medically uh, yeah. Those issues as well. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes uh, I, I, I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, I'll say this: um, as somebody who spent a lot of time actually on alcoholism research, that uh, sometimes um, for uh, depression and a, it can be a biochemical situation, yes. and a biochemical is not going to be fixed by just trying to act better and do better. And sometimes, you know, God has. Uh, blessed us with the ability to see what we can do biochemically to help, which is the reason why marijuana is being used in some of those cases anyway. Okay. I want to get, get look at, uh, if I can, with you another passage. This is taken from the book of Galatians, and I want to draw uh, something out of this that most people don't realize. Um, uh, I'm going to point out uh, a Greek word that is used in Galatians 5.19. So, uh, let me read it to everyone and tie it into our conversation. Galatians 5.19 says, The acts of the flesh are obvious. Some of the uh, other versions will say, The acts of the sinful nature are obvious. By the way, this is the part of us where um, uh, just a, a sinful desire, a fleshly, self-centered, I just want what I want when I want it, uh, which is a part of the human condition that we have to fight against with God's help and with the help of God's people. So he says, the acts of the, of the flesh are obvious. What are they? Sexual immorality, 
impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the like. I warn you, as I did before, that those who live like this will not inherit the kingdom of God. So uh, he's just listed lifestyles, and and I want to draw everybody's attention uh, in this text to verse 21, where he's really explicit. It's not that you stumble into these things. We can all stumble into, you know, uh, hatred for a moment or jealousy or selfish ambition. But it's the lifestyle. It's, a, it's where this becomes a lifestyle because it's a lifestyle that's inconsistent with saving faith. Saving faith is a faith that uh, trusts and follows Jesus. And in some of these ways, uh, if we struggle with them, we need help. We need uh, things like uh, um, you know addiction recovery, celebrate recovery, counseling, and things like that. And sometimes just being in a really good, solid fellowship or getting fed with the Word of God, being with the people of God, and learning to walk in the Spirit of God can can help us. Absolutely. In fact, all those things are important. I want to draw everybody's attention. Of course, in verse 21, it mentions drunkenness, and we've already talked about that, how that's a behavior that a genuine disciple will turn from. But I'd like to draw everybody's attention back to verse 20, where Paul describes witchcraft. The Greek word used there is pharmakeo, from which we get pharmacy. And a lot of people don't realize, but that word witchcraft actually in its original context is the taking of drugs to connect spiritually with the other side, uh, is how the ancients would have understood it. So it's literally a drug-induced state for spiritual connection. And the reason that I bring it up is it is a being explicit here about a drug-induced state. And uh, Paul includes that, interestingly enough, in the list as God inspires him of sinful behaviors that we would want to turn from and not walk in. So I hope for those uh, who are joining us and looking at this, these are um, helpful warnings they're warnings so that we can live a life that, that God would intend for us because God doesn't want us to use alcohol. And, you know, I know this from uh, graduate work that I did uh, with a master's thesis on alcoholism that, you know, 10% of the population who get drunk are going to end up becoming alcoholics. So there needs to be high boundaries. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, and the Bible gives that and says, don't get drunk. And if you don't get drunk, you're not going to become an alcoholic. And, and if you don't get drunk, you're not going to um, indulge in debauchery and sinful behavior. Likewise, uh, you've pointed out some people with uh, cannabis will use it and become psychologically addicted. Mm-hmm. So don't get intoxicated with cannabis. Mm-hmm. It, it's the same thing as getting drunk and a disciple of Jesus will trust the Lord, ask for his help, and not uh, follow down this path. Let me turn to the message comment on that. I really appreciate that uh, perspective on that word. You know, for thousands of years, it has been used in other cultures and other religions uh, for that aspect of spirituality and connecting in a way that, you know, I mean, so I can see that um, even 
um, in some of the local islands, you know, from the islands, there are certain religions and beliefs that they, that's part of their spirituality and how they enhance their spiritual experiences. And so I, you know, and it's been done for thousands of years, very much so in the Asian cultures, you know, Chinese and, and in Asia, you know, the Indian cultures, all of these different cultures for thousands of years have used it in that um, yeah. religiously, it, yeah. you know, for religious reasons. So I appreciate your perspective on that and that input. Um, and, and I do think that um, the, the temptation for disciples who live in states where it's recreationally legal, um, this is what they need to remember. Yeah, you know, it's, it's this lifestyle. I mean, you know, God's not pleased with that at all. And he, he addresses that here. And um, I've had people ask, well, how much? Well, how often? <laughs> and, and I'm like, that's a very slippery slope, my dear. That's not now, that's not the conversation we should be having. <laughs> you know, Sasha, one of the things that you uh, uh, brought up to me um, when we previously talked is that marijuana today, the typical, you know, joint that you get is much more potent than it was. I know some people, you know, maybe 20, 30 years ago, they, they might adapt. They don't realize it's much more potent today. Sure. If I can comment to that. So in the seventies, you know, in the hippie ages, um, the THC content of cannabis was at about 3% in these plants. But over these decades, these plants have been genetically engineered to produce THC contents well above 30% and higher and much higher because those recreational users are looking for that high. That recreational cannabis is for the high. To get high is to get, it's like, it's not having a glass or two of wine again, our analogy. It's like drinking a whole bottle of wine. Yeah. yeah. And that's what people uh, are, are, are sliding into. Uh, let me ask you a question that came up in our Q&A box. Uh, this person writes, what happens is if you feel like you have a need for medical marijuana and in your home state it's not legalized, what, what, what should you do? Well, I have to tell you that if it's not legalized in your home state, um, your only option is to move to a state <laughs> where it is legal because you cannot – uh, because it's still federally illegal, you can't obtain it in another state and bring it to your home state. That oh. is breaking the law. Oh. So even my patients who qualify for cannabis, it's made very clear to them, you cannot cross state lines with this because then it becomes a federal issue. The only reason you can use this treatment in this state is due to the state laws. All right. So unfortunately, their option is to... Um, you know, go to a state to be live in a state where it's medically approved. Um, some individuals try to use the hemp based CBD, uh, which is um, there's a it's, it's kind of complicated. But the farm bill, we have a federal farm bill that allows hemp based CBD, which has a very little to no THC content in it, um, to be legal across the states. However, there's no regulation for that. You really don't know when you purchase that product in store or online, that hemp-based CBD oil, what you're getting. Is it safe? And I really don't recommend individuals do that unless they understand the safety profiles. How is, 
how are the plants tested for infections and fungus and different bacteria and things that can hurt you? What are the safety profiles? How do you know the content of what you're getting is what you're getting? Unless you are solid on those answers, I really don't recommend that because that CBD hemp, the hemp CBD industry is becoming very much like the, the multi-billion supplement industry now where, you know, half the time you don't really know what you're getting. Okay. Uh, Sasha, I really appreciate uh, your patience being with us and, and those who are watching the webinar staying with us. I have a couple of questions that I'd like to ask as we're uh, closing out our time together. Uh, the first one is, what do I do? What would you recommend if I have somebody, maybe it's me, maybe the person watching the webinar is saying, man, this is good information. I, I, I don't know if I can stop uh, smoking weed. Or another case, maybe I've got a child or a spouse or a brother or sister or a close friend and I'm, I'm concerned about them. What would you recommend as a path so that uh, we, we can ask God to help us, to help somebody we love or to help ourselves if we've fallen into the trap of addiction? I think if you happen to have someone in your home church who specializes in these sorts of medical uh, disorders or conditions, you, you know, you can seek help there. But really, that individual needs to seek professional help. Okay, um, if 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 submission to God's word isn't working, if they're fight and they're struggling each day to do that. Um, and, and really live, you know, live out God's word. If they can't do that on their own, there's a really good chance that they actually need a professional to teach them effective uh, cognitive retraining skills in order to overcome this. And we see this all the time with any kind of addiction um, or dependency issue. So it would be to have a loving conversation with them, a non-judgmental one, but a loving conversation saying, look, you know, let's get some help, you know, and it may take, you know, one or two, you know, brothers or sisters who, who they know love them unconditionally and are truly seeking, you know, to help them. Um, sometimes um, we are not equipped as disciples to help in very complicated uh, mental health disorders. And I think we need to know when to recognize that and get that extra help. Oh, that's good. Here's my last question for you. Uh, let's say that I'm watching this and uh, I'm raising my children, maybe my teens, or um, I just, I don't want to slide into this behavior that's so common, especially in these uh, states and countries where it's becoming legal. That, that The sad thing is that it's just opening the doors that were not open before. And so people are going to fall and get, you know, they're going to get intoxicated some of them will become addicted and lose the way. What are some things that might help me uh, in my life or with my children so that we can uh, not, not fall prey to the temptation to join in? You know, I've raised, uh, my husband and I have raised two teenagers ourselves. And I can tell you that despite the fact that we have done the best that we can to protect them from the world. The world is uh, just bombarding them with these influences. And so it's very challenging. Um, 
you know, we have to lay the foundation for our kids. And, and, and when they start getting into that, those years, those middle school years and those high school years where they're exploring and they're trying to figure this out, it's very challenging. Um, uh, learning how to have conversations with your kids, that's something that I've had to learn how to do. How do I effectively have a conversation with a team that's living in this era that's faced with these challenges. It's something that I have had to learn and continue to learn myself. And so I say, get a lot of help. (laughs) Guidance, you know, at the end of the day, you know, we have to do what we can um, to help our kids, um, but they're going to make, you know, that decision. Um, And until they can, you know, we try, you know, from, from childhood, you know, babies, toddlers, they're in class, you know, every Sunday, you know, we're teaching them, we're, we're having devotionals, but at some point, the, it, that foundation has to be, t- you know, when it's tested, we see where it stands with them, you know, um, and sometimes despite our best efforts, um, they, they fall prey, I say as long, I, I think what's crucial is to have um, an, an environment of openness and communication and that unconditional love so that they always know that you're there to help them and that they can speak to you, that I've not always been uh, the epitome of that um, for my kids, but I, I know that that is something that I always strive to do and to learn to do better. So, You know, this is a great opportunity for me to commend uh, something to all of the Renew listeners or readers. Uh, I'll describe that in just a second. Uh, and, uh, we are strong advocates of what we call intentional relational discipleship. And when it comes to our children, um, being in relationship with them, being close enough so that they will actually uh, share with us. And if we're loving them the way Jesus teaches us to, hopefully they're also going to feel safe enough to share the struggles that they're going to have. And then, um, we're going to have an opportunity to also teach them this perspective. Here's what I think is just a great gift that you've given to everyone, Sasha, uh, both in this recording and in the ebook that we're going to create out of this recording is you've given parents some resources and uh, uh, they can understand and walk our children through the nuance of where it's okay and where it's not and what the Bible says. So uh, back to intentional relational discipleship, we're thinking of our relationship is good with our kids. We know the goal as a parent is to disciple our children. Then we're intentionally talking through material like this material that's being created. So, that's a real gift, and I just want to thank you on behalf of uh, Renew. Thank you personally, and uh, just let you know that this is a really good thing. So I'm going to give the last word to you, and thank you everyone for joining us, whether you're watching us live or you're watching the recording. Bobby, I just want to say how much I really appreciate this opportunity to present this perspective um, to our listeners and those that will be reading. Um, it, it can be a complicated discussion in some ways, and in some ways it's a pretty straightforward. 
discussion. I think that it's always important to remember that, you know, actively just uh, ourselves making sure that we're in God's word and we are using prayer and discernment and wisdom as we approach every situation that we find and just really creating a safe space, uh, not just for our kids, but for our brothers and sisters. So we can have these discussions, ask lots of questions um, and make sure that we have the facts and we can, you know, truly love our brothers and sisters through whichever scenario it is, whether they're using medical cannabis appropriately or they're seeking to do rec use recreational cannabis inappropriately, um, you know, loving them the way Jesus would love them in truth, um, in compassion and grace. And so um, it's a, it's a high bar. And um, unfortunately, it's one that I've missed at times, but you know, we continue to do our best. And I think if we can approach our relationships um, not just with brothers and sisters, but those that we reach out to in the world to be able to minister them. <clears throat> I know God will be glorified in that. Thank you so much for saying that. Um, uh, my last word to back to you, Sasha, and everyone is, what I really appreciate about the tone of what you're saying is, none of us are saying we've got it all together. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not about perfection. Mm -hmm. It's about direction. And it's about helping each other and loving each other. We describe it this way. Disciple making is entering into relationships to help people trust and follow Jesus. Right. So that's what we're talking about. Thank you for being with us. Thank you so much. for listening to another Renew Church Leaders podcast. We hope you'll join us again as we continue to apply the teachings of Jesus to hard topics and current cultural issues. We'll see you next time.